0: Today's episode of RBC Disruptors was recorded before a live audience. Good morning. Welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse, and it's my pleasure to host our monthly conversation about disruption, innovation, and how technology is changing everything around us. You're probably familiar with Future Launch, RBC's 10 year, $500 million commitment to the future of work. And helping the next generation of Canadians be prepared for what we're pretty sure is going to be a very different future of work and is going to be much more entrepreneurial than anything we've seen in the past. So I'm really excited to be joined by three sort of flag bearers of the next gen of entrepreneurs in this country who have joined us through an organization called Next Canada that RBC has been really proud to be uh, associated with. If you're not familiar with Next Canada, it runs a few programs, Next 36, Next AI, and Next Founders to support exceptional entrepreneurs. So let me start with a quick introduction of our guests, Daniel D'Souza, CEO and co-founder of Crescendo. It's an AI technology that delivers customized diversity training. Emma Harris, the CEO of Healthy Pets. It's a telemedicine platform for pet owners. And Emily Bland, who's the CEO of Succeed, a company that employs at-risk youth to build hydroponic grow tanks to feed northern communities. On behalf of RBC, welcome to Disruptors. Thank you. Emma, I want to start with you. How's it different starting a business today than it might have been for Steve Jobs 30 years ago.
1: The biggest difference between starting a business today and a few decades ago is that it's never been easier to start a business. The barriers to entry have been dramatically reduced. So, if you take my business, for example, my business is living and breathing via a website and an app. That didn't even exist, you know, over what, eight, nine years ago. And so the opportunities to start a business have never been greater. The flip side of that is because barriers to entry have been dramatically reduced, it's never been more difficult to succeed and win and be that leader at the top because the competition is just that much greater.
0: That's that's a great insight. Daniel, what would you add to that? And particularly, why do you think your generation may be more interested in entrepreneurship?
2: I think at least in the past 20 years, Uh, Being an entrepreneur now is sexier than it's ever been in the past. And so I think that in itself inspires a lot of people or shows a lot of people that it's not as difficult as you might think.
0: Emily, if you got to meet someone like Jeff Bezos, he's going to be envious that you're starting at a time that he didn't get to start at.
3: Yeah, and I think a big part of what's driving this generation is exactly what this is called, disruptors. So there's something about this generation that has this passion to defy all odds, not to listen to the rules, to color outside of the lines, and to push everything to its limits. And I think, I guess, the difference between us and our parents' generation, or the generation before us, is they looked at everything within the box. So the big goals and the passions were that you wanted government jobs, you wanted stability, you wanted to find that path, and you wanted to know that path from when you were 16. And this generation just has this passion spark to do things a bit differently, which is really exciting to see.
0: So let me, let me stay with you for a minute and get uh, a bit more about your own story, and then we'll hear from the others as well. How did you get started as an entrepreneur?
3: So mine was accidental. I was taking a similar path to what my parents wanted. My, my 40-year plan when I was 14 years old was that I was going to go to law school, start a law firm in a small community in Newfoundland, and then get into politics. And that was exactly what I was going to do, no ifs, ands, buts about it.
0: Was that Uh, your plan or your parents' or grandparents' plan for
3: you? (laughs) Probably a bit of both. (laughs) It was definitely influenced by them. But I ended up going to university at Memorial and got involved with a group called Enactus. So it's an organization of 77,000 university students around the world that challenge you to address social and economic issues in your communities. Joined the team three years in, took over as the team's president, and it was at the time that we were seeing these crazy, horrific stats about food insecurity rates in northern communities that a cauliflower was costing more than a dozen roses in Newfoundland, and things that were just shocking. So we sat there as a team and said, hey, you know, we can do something, we can fix this, let's think outside of the box. So came up with the idea of creating 15 home hydroponic grow tanks, so using water instead of soil to grow fresh produce. The big lofty goal was to put 15 in Labrador in the next year. An article went out in the local newspaper. We had a request for 100 of these systems from Las Vegas to Norway, and we kind of sat there shocked as a team, like, okay, we, we found something here. So started a social enterprise around that. We ended up winning the Enactus World Cup, so named the best student-run social enterprise in the world. And at that point I was still planning to go to law school. (laughs) But at the point when I graduated, there was something that was stuck. It didn't feel right anymore. I couldn't let go of my passion. So I called up my boss, I quit my job, and I decided I wasn't going to law school and I became an entrepreneur.
0: I think that's such a great insight because we're seeing more and more young entrepreneurs starting their own businesses because they want to solve the world's problems. It's not to get rich or to just have, have independence, although those things may come along with it, but it's to solve those social problems that you're, you're, you're taking on. Daniel, give us uh, some insight into that light bulb moment for Crescendo and what convinced you to uh, th- kind of throw everything away and dive into it.
2: Yeah, a so this, uh, this is an interesting one for me. I've like, left companies that I've worked for in the past because of bias, uh, because of racism or discrimination in the workplace. The light bulb moment and the real impact or the real moment that made me wanna pursue this uh, was when I realized that I was actually part of the problem as well. In my last workplace, I had the fortune of working with uh, one of my best friends at the time. You know, we were on a leadership team of four and she was the only female on the team and also one of the only females in a very male-dominated workplace. And on this leadership team, the four of us were quite close. We were all people of color. So you know, we thought we were like woke and we were like, yes, we, we can do this. We are diverse as hell. And it wasn't until about seven months in where she actually broke down from frustration and then told us all of these small things, the cadences in our voice, the words we were using when we talked to her, the way we introduced ourselves in meeting our body language, that made her feel like she was inadequate or that she didn't deserve to be there or that she wasn't good enough uh, to be doing her job. And that's when I realized when you look at the world where now uh, discrimination in workplace is prevalent and it's in your face and you know it's happening, the reason that it's happening a lot of the time flies under people's radars. It's the small things that you don't realize that you're doing. And so for me, I made a commitment to learn myself on the things I was doing, how to change my behavior, but I saw how difficult it was. And so I wanted to do something that could create change at scale. So take that process of my self-learning and really apply it in a way to workforces across the country. And that's really where Crescendo came from.
0: Right, and Emma, you were working full-time, if I uh, remember correctly, when you decided to mm-hmm. kind of throw it all away and start Healthy Pets.
1: The idea what for Healthy you? Pets is because of my dog, Bo. Uh, so he's a three-year-old yellow Labrador. I grew up with dogs, so did my fiance. You know, we were the stereotypical millennial pet parents. Yes, you all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And fortunately, he acquired a very rare lung infection by about four months of age. And it was a year worth of stress and medical bills, $10,000 in medical bills. And I realized you know, after about a year later that a lot of the time we went into the vet clinic, if any of you, most of you probably have pets, you know you go into the vet clinic. Sometimes it's not out of medical necessity, it's out of worry, it's out of love for your pet. Unfortunately, based on the current model, it's a very expensive and time consuming process. And so I reflected on this journey and I thought I wanted to bring telemedicine, similar to how we use Telehealth Ontario for our own lives and our family lives to pet care because pet care has evolved so dramatically. The problem was telemedicine and veterinary care was illegal. So I had to work with the regulatory body, which oversees veterinary activity in this province for about six months. I was fortunate that this was already on their radar, but The process, I would say, was expedited quite dramatically, and the result was for the first time in this country, veterinarians could now practice digital medicine. I went on Dragon's Den the same week that that regulation was approved, so it was pretty serendipitous.
0: I wonder if you can each share some insights, and we'll start with you, Emma, on the early days challenges of starting your own businesses. What were the biggest obstacles, and how did you overcome them?
1: My number one challenge, hands down, as now I've gone from me and the dog to a team of six or seven now, and we have an office, is hiring. It's so difficult to find the right fit for your organization, particularly as your organization is evolving so quickly and it's so new. But the challenges vary from everything, you know, from personally. I mean, to start this business, I took on probably over the first... 12 months I accumulated about $50,000 of personal debt and I'm not saying to go out and do that. That was challenging. It's challenging to know that you're making the right decision when you don't have a lot of data back in your decisions. It's challenging on your personal lives. Like, I went from working, you know, probably eight to six every day to working 6 a.m. to easily nine or 10 p.m. Those are the hours I still put in today, and I am by far happier than I've ever been. You're doing it because of a greater cause, and I think that if you relate to that cause enough, all of those sacrifices are, are worth it.
0: That's great. Daniel, what, uh, what were the early challenges for you and, and
2: more broadly for your generation? What are also the opportunities? I think one of the early challenges was finding if we had the right idea. I think one of the mistakes we made as a team, and so it's, at the beginning it was myself, Um, My co-founder, Sage, and my other co-founder, Stefan, and now we've got employees. But in the beginning, it was just the three of us sitting around a table talking about this thing that we were passionate about and trying to figure out how to do it. And we made uh, the mistake that I think a lot of people make today of of trying to think of a solution first. So we had this cool, anonymous reporting system that we're like, yeah, this is it. This is going to change the world. Like, this is going to stop racism or stop discrimination. And I think the most difficult part was when we actually went out started talking to people and finding out that our idea didn't really have traction. And then to go back to the drawing board uh, to keep our passion, but to change that idea was, was a little hard when you're really married to it. Over a span of three months, we went out and talked to over 100 different HR professionals, uh, diversity and inclusion consultants, and employees who left good and bad companies to find out like, within this broad problem, like where specifically is the problem and what can we specifically do to solve that? Um, And I think it's tough trying to keep your motivation on that time because you get a lot of no's or you get a lot of this isn't a problem uh, or you get a lot of I would never buy this, this sucks. Um, And so I think that's definitely a challenge is keeping your motivation and remembering why you're passionate or why you're doing the thing you're doing that'll keep you going. The opportunity is that it's easier to reach people now. So a lot of the 100 plus people that we talked to, we just cold message on LinkedIn. We found them on Facebook. We reached out through friends of friends. And so one of the opportunities, I think, for our generation is being able to access that and being able to find out you know, what problems exist specifically uh, and then find the people to actually validate those.
0: Emily, I wonder if we can riff off some of those points and get to uh, two questions here from Webex that are uh, somewhat related, which is how, how do you deal with failure and how do you stay motivated?
3: I think a big part is just believing so uncontrollably that you're on the right path, and that you're passionate about something, and that no matter what happens, at the end of the day, you're happy because you know you've made a difference for that cause. We talk to some people, and like, what do you mean you're doing social enterprise? What do you mean you're trying to raise capital, but you have a social cause? You're doing something so different. But for me, I think you just need to know where your light is. For me, my passion was fueled by my grandfather, so he had an entrepreneurial path, moved to Newfoundland with $32 in his pocket, and then turned it into three successful businesses. So he defied all odds. And just having those types of role models and mentors and knowing that those people close to you believe in you gives you that extra spark to keep pushing on those very tough, tough days.
2: I, I totally agree with that. I think it's, it's two parts, right? I think it's one, finding the light about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so for us, whenever we get criticism or we're like, why are we doing this? We go back and read some of the stories we got from people who we originally talked to uh, who had terrible experiences in the workplace or think about our own experience and say, this is why we're doing it. But the other one is also, find the people who believe in you. I think that's important. So I don't know if any of you are familiar with like imposter syndrome, believing that like, you really shouldn't be where you are and that you are in no way capable to do what you're doing. One of the things that I find about being an entrepreneur is that like, you constantly feel this way because there's constantly people who are doing better than you. you know, you're raising a certain amount of money, but there's someone who just raised four times that. You, know, you got your first customer, but there's someone who's already gotten like 17 customers and that they started at the same time as you. So I think finding people who you know, believe in you and believe in your ability and can remind you of the things that you did that were extraordinary or what make you unique, I think it really pushes you through in those, in those dark times.
0: As you're starting to build your teams, how do you build the chemistry? You're the leader, people look to you for signals. Daniel, you're laughing.
2: Yeah, so. it's, a, it's, it's a tough one. Um, I think for, for, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about because our, our goal as a company is really to build a product that can help other companies become more inclusive. And so for us, that puts double pressure on us to be like the most inclusive company that there is. And on my own note, I'm just, I'm a very personal believer, and if you're going to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. And so some of the things we're doing at a very early stage are having very open conversations. We're big believers in bringing your whole self to work. And so we talk about mental health, we'll talk about queerness, we'll talk about alcoholism, things that people tend to hide in their everyday life or feel ashamed or feel scared to bring to work. And we try to bring those conversations up just in the first like week uh, of someone being hired. And the reason for that is we want to establish like a ground that you can kind of talk about anything that you want to talk about, that your identity isn't something that's separate from who you are. And so that's some of the things we're doing right now, but again, as that scales and as that grows, it's something that's really on the top of my mind because as soon as you go past um, eight employees, it's hard to put everyone at a table and have conversations like that very openly. So that is a question that's on the top of my mind.
0: One of the pleasures of my job is I get to travel the country and talk to lots of uh, incredible Canadians. Those include government leaders and uh, university and college leaders. And I'd like to share some insights with them from you on what they should be doing differently. And Emily, what would be your message?
3: I think that the whole curriculum ideas that we have right now, especially in high school, need to be stripped down to the beginning. Not just fixed or tweaked, but go back to the basics and figure out what high school, junior high students actually need to learn. We don't learn about financial the financial education. So many kids graduate high school and we don't, we get credit cards and you rack up huge amounts of debt. There needs to be more education ingrained growing up and even take networking. So networking is one of the leading things to get you a job. When did you learn how to network in high school? Like Kelly Howie, she wrote a book called Build Your Dream Network you should all buy it and read it. Um, But it teaches you why networking is important and how you actually do it effectively and that it's all about quality, not quantity, and how you build your network from a young age. Those are the skills that we need to learn in high school and not just be expected to learn at home or outside of school. So I really think that all of us need to come together, figure out what the key concepts it is that we wish we learned in high school and build an actual curriculum around it. Yes, it's risky, but why not give it a try with one high school?
0: So what, what all of you are saying reminds me of why we at RBC are so passionate about uh, work integrated learning and uh, co-ops. We hire a lot of co-ops because it's great for us as an organization. It's great for the individuals, helps us innovate, but also helps transform the classroom with uh, some of the excellent schools in the country who are wanting to, uh, to innovate. I wonder if I can ask you to speak a bit to the on- entrepreneurial mindset and how it's different.
3: I'm going to go back to the first thing I said. So it's all about being a disruptor. It's about looking at how things have been for 10, 20, 100 years and start to ask why and how you can improve that and how you can make it better. You take companies right now that are disrupting things like the mattress industry, the toothbrush industry, things that haven't changed for so many generations. But because someone is asking why and how they can improve, that's changing it. And there's so many different forms of entrepreneurship this is just one form you see here but there's also entrepreneurs that are working within a company that you guys are promoting here at rbc which is incredible but you can take entrepreneurship into all areas of your life it's just about asking why and how
0: daniel for the people here and watching on webex and facebook what advice do you have for them if they're thinking about making the leap into entrepreneurship?
2: Yeah, so I I think the biggest thing that I've learned this year and then even the past years with other things that I've done is being an entrepreneur isn't about thinking of a brilliant solution right now. It's about finding something that you're passionate enough to make an effort to change. And that can be anything in your everyday life. It can be something inside of the company you're already working for. It can be something outside of the company that you're working for. Whatever it is, find it out and make a plan to, to actually change it and then do it. And that's entrepreneurship.
0: And you can do that within a large organization or your own company or a nonprofit or even if you're working for government. If you, yeah, you have absolutely. That, and it's, you it's, have it's that mindset.
2: Yeah, I think it's with, with working in a company, as long as your management is flexible enough. Uh, to allow you to you know take autonomy and take control it's a lot easier to do it in there uh, because you have almost a cushion right if you're an entrepreneur on the outside if you fail like you, you don't have money <laughs> but when you're inside an organization at least you have that stable income right but it really at the end of the day it really rests on, on your managers and the support systems you have that motivate you and push you to take risks because if you don't have that then you can't really do that within a company
0: and Emma, what's your advice for people uh, here or watching on entrepreneurship what should they be thinking about what should they ask of themselves
1: I mean, to go back to the mindset, to start a business is crazy. Like, the odds are stacked against you, and yet it's so rewarding. At the same time, though, it's very important to be realistic with yourself. Because we all see the success stories in the videos or wherever you are, but you don't see the thousands of stories that didn't make it to the video. And so it's very important to push past the rejection, because we all face it, whether you're an employee, an employer, an entrepreneur or not. It's very important to be passionate about what you do. But it's also very important to set goals for yourself and either reach them, and if you don't reach them, ask yourself why. And maybe the reason why is lack of product market fit. Maybe it's that the world just doesn't want the solution you're working on. But if you keep pushing that exact same thing, you could be wasting other opportunities. So if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, I would say start it. But if you're starting, outline what you plan to achieve when and be realistic about why you do or you do not achieve those goals because it's so easy to just get caught up and keep doing the same things over and over, expecting a different result, and that is a waste of your time.
0: Daniel, what would you do differently if you could go go back back in time? If I could roll back the
2: clock, I think what I learned a lot from was when I started my nonprofit two years ago. The thing I would do is shift more of my attention away from like what's happening immediately in the moment and turn part of that to build a capacity within your team. A big part of, of leadership that I learned the hard way was that people only care about their ideas. And so one of the big things is, is to take whatever's in your head and find a way that people can relate to that and people can take ownership of it and find a way that people, you can combine your passion with someone else's passion and then focus on developing them and their passions rather than accomplishing what's in your head. And doing that, I think, earlier on would have helped with a lot of struggles we had transitioning up the nonprofit from me leaving to having its own sustainable team. And even now, looking at as we grow our employees and as we grow our staff, how can we do this for the long term? So not just you know hire people and then have them burn out and leave, but really invest in them personally, so they feel that this mission is also their mission. All right,
0: Annette, Emily, what would you uh,
3: do over? Definitely think bigger. The one thing that the Next program has taught me is to think bigger. So even when I came to Next, my big goal of success was to build a company that could do a million dollars in sales. But to see the potential of the companies that we get to work with and the mentors and hear their stories, just because we're in Canada, you can still build a $100 million company. You can build something that's going to change the world. You can disrupt anything that you want. And I think that's something that we need to start to do growing up is believing in ourselves more and to not give ourselves ceilings or think that there's caps on what we can achieve and what we can attain.
0: What, what, what a great message. That's got to be Canada's biggest challenge, that none of us think big enough. We don't think globally, so thank you for for stressing that. Who do you look up to today?
3: My biggest one is a personal mentor, and then I have an industry mentor as well, but my grandfather was one of the most incredible people in the world he had a heart for changing the world, but a head for business. But the second one is Vicki Saunders, so she runs C.E.O. And she's a powerhouse of a woman. Like, defying odds and like grasping opportunity and just going for it, like this is what she does. But at the same time, she's one of those people that I've texted at 1 a.m., 6 a.m. saying, Vicki, the, the sky is falling, like help me. But she still takes the time to talk to you as a person and be like, Emily, okay, the sky is not falling. <laughs> um, and really be Real with you, and I think it's it's a really important thing to have your mentors as someone that can also be a part of your lives. Hollywood often glamifies everything and can create this unattainable thing that you push towards as a mentor. So, my big piece of advice would be to have mentors that you you can feel in your close network.
2: Daniel, who who do you Uh, look up to? So, who do I look? I look up to my parents first of all. I think specifically my dad uh, because it was a similar story where like. They went from India to Australia, and then they left Australia and came here because their visa expired. And they were telling me stories where, you know, they were living in this tiny apartment downtown Toronto, no furniture. They were sleeping on boxes. And there was one time where they only had $2, so they split a hot dog, and that was, like, all they ate that day. Like, seeing my dad come from that, build a couple successful businesses, and really create a life for my own family and kind of pull us out of... You know where we were living before and, and, and give me and my sister all of these opportunities to expand on, I think that's something that I really look up to is that, is that grit. And I think that's a story of not just like my parents but a lot of people's parents especially uh, anyone who's like a first generation like a Canadian is to look at the stories that your parents have gone through because a lot of the times they, they aren't told in the same way that you know, all these famous CEOs and mentors are but the grit and the entrepreneurial spirit that they had to come to a new country and start a new life is something that I think needs to be told over and over again. Right. Emma?
1: I'm fortunate to work very closely with Arlene Dickinson. and I got my start on Dragon as I mentioned earlier. I look up to her. She certainly is a woman who has a lot of grit. I also depend on and look up to and so frequently connect with the small group of people who are either at similar or later stages in their entrepreneurial journey. We all really depend on each other sometimes to get us through the more difficult parts of the lifestyle that we've chosen. That network is so important and I would encourage anybody who's thinking about entrepreneurship to find that group of people. And the way you find that group of people is to put yourself out into the community and go to events like TechTO that RBC hosts every month and events like that where other like-minded people are. Don't go with your friends, go alone because you'll be forced to meet people.
0: That's great. uh, Great message. As we move to close, I wonder if you could share quickly with us your grand vision. If you're back here five years from now, what do you want to be talking about? How big can you build what you're building? Emma, let's start with you.
1: So the grand vision for Healthy Pets is to introduce a new standard in pet care. So any pet owner will resonate with the inconvenience of the process currently of acquiring veterinary care. We want everybody to be able to understand the severity of their concern at the click of a button instantaneously from home and determine what is necessary thereafter. So we really want to create that step one in the pet health journey that currently doesn't exist. That's my grand vision for Healthy Putts, but my grand vision ultimately is to make this a success and move on and do something else and hopefully have you know, multiple businesses creating multiple employment opportunities for people internationally.
2: That's fantastic. Daniel? My big vision for for Crescendo and also my own personal one is looking at how can we use the question of how can we use technology to create a more empathetic world? And so the way in which people are communicating with each other has changed drastically over the past 10 years, where it's primarily in person and then through voice and now through online messages. So being able to use technology to understand people's perspective and the way that you communicate with them online is, I think, something that is slightly being done right now, but has a lot more to go in the future. And so for us, we wanna use technology to focus on how can we do that to reduce bias in the workplace, but then go out like broader than diversity as soon as we can. So start looking at how do different people from across the world on different teams communicate with each other? How can we translate their cultural norms or their cultural expectations behind what they're saying? And so that's my grand vision for Crescendo, but then also my own personal vision is to, is to create that world.
0: What a fantastic ambition. Emily, what's your?
3: For Succeed, I want to see all of, everyone in this room, I want to see Canadians coast to coast growing their own food. We have a huge challenge right now that globally we need 70% more food by 2050, and I promise you no super farmer is going to pop up and feed us all. So my passion around Succeed is that we're going to disrupt it and start to empower people to grow their own food instead of just picking it up at the local grocery store for, I guess, me or overall and what my big other big passion behind this is often we've been told growing up and especially in a lot of these business programming that if you wanna change the world, go make a lot of money and then donate to causes that you care about. I wanna change that. If you wanna make a difference in the world, you, you can do it with business. So changing the thought that Business needs to be money-focused and change it. That you you can make something socially empowering that's also financially feasible and creating an environmental impact around the world. So changing how we look at changing the world.
0: So you're using business to change the world. No yeah. small ambition here. <laughs> we talked about future launch at the beginning. I think the, the the future is here and it's looking pretty fantastic. This has been a fantastic mm-hmm. conversation. Thank you, Emma, Daniel, and Emily for this. Congratulations for all your doing. Uh, you. Thanks for downloading RBC Disruptors. Our show this week was produced and edited by Peter Henderson. You can reach us at rbcdisruptors at rbc.com and join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse. Thanks so much for listening.